Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. Before I get started this morning, uh, it's so good to be here. It's always an honor to share the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, I just wanted to give some people some shout out. That's our, our volunteers right throughout the church. Come on, can we give them a round of applause? We are, you know, they're just everywhere. They're in the car park, they're in the foyer, they're downstairs taking care of our kids. And as an organization, you know, we wouldn't function without our volunteers. And so uh, it's just such a blessing to have such an amazing team. You know, our, our AV team, our worship band, uh, they're just fantastic. And so we love you guys. Uh, we're so glad you're here. And this morning, I want to kick off with... Uh, a story of our theme. Our theme this month is Christian classics. Are you guys enjoying it so far? Have you caught any of the ones? If you miss any of them, you can grab them on our podcast, which is on SoundCloud. Uh, And I'm going to kick on with that theme this week. But before I get to my story, my Christian classic story, I just want to share a concept that Jesus taught uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, and then we're going to kick on. I've got a few practical points to take home with you this morning. But if you've got a Bible, can you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 14? We're going we're gonna to launch from here today. You guys good? Yeah. Let's do it. All right, Matthew 9, verse 14. Uh, then John's disciples came and asked him, Jesus that is, uh, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither, sorry, do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing here this morning. Come on, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in this place. I pray that for people in this building this morning that you would encounter us. Come on, Lord, as we gather around your word, as we gather around the gospel of your kingdom, I pray that there would be prophetic insight, that there would be dreams and visions and encounters, that wisdom would be released. Come on, that breakthrough would take place right across this place. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. 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 All right, so Matthew chapter 9, we kick off in this story where Jesus is teaching publicly. And a group of guys come up to him that are disciples of John the Baptist. And uh, they're not too keen on him. And they come and they ask him this question. They go, uh, how is it that we fast all the time? but you don't fast, okay? Now, just to give it a little bit of context, uh, the disciples of John are in no way enemies of Jesus, but they come with this question, like, we fast all the time, how come you don't do it? And the disciples of John the Baptist were devout men and women that loved God and lived a life according to the teachings of John the Baptist, primarily, which were probably two things. Uh, One was repentance, Okay, turning from your sins, turning away from a sinful lifestyle. Uh, and the second was living a fasted life. Okay, 
uh, in everything that they did. It wasn't just the fact that they fasted, but they live a fasted life. The Bible tells us that uh, John the Baptist uh, cruised around in uh, camel hair and his diet was locusts and wild honey. So he wasn't a guy that enjoyed the finer things in life. You guys with me this morning? So these were the disciples of John the Baptist that lived a fasted life and they come up a bit dirty on Jesus' disciples and go, hey, how come uh, we fast all the time, you guys never fast? And Jesus responds to their question and he says this, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? Yet the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm grateful that I get to read the Bible with the benefit of hindsight, okay? I mean, if you've seen a movie and you know how the film ends, if you go back and watch the movie again, because you know what's going to happen, there's all sort of details that come to life because you know what's going to happen at the end of the film. Has anyone experienced that? Happens to me all the time. So it's awesome when you get to do that. It's actually really awesome when you get to read the Bible in that context as well because the disciples are standing around they're like and jesus gives them what seems like a cryptic answer he says hey how can you mourn while the bridegroom me is still here but the time will go and then the, then they will fast and so for us we know that jesus died on the cross he's raised to life again after three days and then leaves back to heaven but the disciples don't know that yet and so it's such a benefit for us sometimes to know how the story ends when we're reading the Bible. And so Jesus is teaching the disciples about fasting and yet they wouldn't have perceived it because they didn't understand what was yet to happen to Jesus. Are you with me? So Jesus says, hey, there's a time coming where I'm going to leave and then you're going to fast. And in this, Jesus teaches us something really significant about fasting and what we learn from that is that one of the primary reasons as New Testament Christians that we fast is so that we can experience a greater level of intimacy with Jesus. Okay? One of the primary reasons that we fast is so that we do something, okay? We do something practical to experience a greater level of relationship with Jesus. Okay? Now, the reason I say all that is because there's a concept in verse... 16 and 17 that I want to read out to you guys but we have to understand the context and the context is things that you and I can do in order to experience a greater level of relationship with Jesus does that make sense and so Jesus is about to teach his disciples a profound truth and the context is what can we do in order to increase our relationship with Jesus and so he carries on with this story in verse 16 and he says no one sews a patch of unused cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment making the tear worse uh, neither do people pour new wine into old wine skins if they do the skins will burst the new wine will run out and the wine skin will be ruined no they pour new wine into new wine skins and both are preserved Okay, Jesus teaching a profound concept about how we improve our relationship with him. Now, this came as a bit of a shock to the, uh, the crew in the first service. Um, but when it comes to garment repair and sewing, I wouldn't say I'm overly proficient. Okay? Um, I don't even know. What's the word? What is this? Is someone who makes garments? Seamstress? Um, I am not a seamstress. Okay? Just in case you were wondering, if you wondered what I did, 
Monday to Friday, I don't make outfits, okay? Um, I'm lucky I can just get dressed in the morning. My wife has to pick my clothes for me. So garments are not my speciality. Additionally, uh, I've never made wine before. It sounds like it's fun. It looks cool on YouTube videos, but I've never done it. And I've got no idea how wine skins are made and how they work, all right? So if any of you guys know about that stuff, uh, please come for it. Come see me after the service and fill me in, all right? I am by no means an expert. But the good news is, despite the fact that I'm not proficient in wineskin making, uh, the concept that Jesus teaches is actually quite simple. You can't take old material and make a new garment, okay? You need new material to make a new garment. You need new wineskins for new wine, okay? You need new operating systems for new software to give it a modern analogy okay if if you need to have a new thought you need a new way of thinking okay if you need a new change in your life you need to change the way that you're living if you need a new revelation of God you need a new encounter with God and so what Jesus is teaching us is that you cannot have an old system to support a new thing, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I, uh, ooh, I'm actually quite glad that for technology, has anyone had a technology experience lately? Have you had one of those situations where you're glad that you have a smartphone? Anyone else had that? I, uh, I was in another country this week, and uh, suffice to say it's a country where you are advised to not really venture outside into public, okay? Especially not at night. Uh, and I'd sort of taken that on board. I was pretty confident that I was pretty safe. Uh, but, so I went out to get some stuff. I went to like the local supermarket to get some things I needed for the week. And I got to the store. I'm kind of looking around going, all right, I need to be aware of my surroundings. Uh, luckily, they spoke English pretty well. I got some groceries. I got my card out. I went to go and swipe my card. And there was a big old, you know, bum bum declined right and there's that moment where you're going what am i going to do anyway luckily enough i pulled my phone out and i opened my banking app which i can access from some other country in the world and i thought well i've got my personal card i just need some money on my account so i'm just going to trans i'm just going to transfer some money across and so i stood in another country which i shouldn't really have been in the supermarket transferring some money some money that apparently lives in my bank from one account to another so i could pull out a card and swipe my card and complete my transaction right and in that moment, I was just sitting there going, how good is, how good's my banking app, you know? Can you imagine what that would have been like maybe 20 years ago? Like it all would have been cash and I would have been in big trouble, right? But here I am going, technology's awesome. But you know, for in, in order for me to be able to actually use my banking app, somewhere in another part of the world, somebody had to create the operating system that this thing runs on, Okay. Someone actually had to create an operating system that makes this device function in order for me to utilize the software that actually benefits me. And so we all enjoy technology, but to enable new technology to be developed, we need systems of infrastructure. Uh, Henry Ford actually quoted this. This is one of my favorite quotes. He says, if I had asked people what they had wanted, they would have said faster horses. Okay, Henry Ford, the guy that uh, invented the automobile, if he had taken a poll 
and said, hey, what do you guys need? You know, what are you actually looking for? They would have said, well, we actually need a faster horse. You know, we need you, we need you to somehow make our horses go faster. But there was something about Henry Ford that was, a vi- as a visionary, that he went, we currently are running on an operating system and you want an upgrade and I want to give you an upgrade, but it's not going to function in the operating system that you were thinking of. And so he had this idea of an automobile, which he then went and invented, but he had to create a new system before he could actually work out his idea. Okay, And so we need new operating systems to support what it is that God wants to do. And I believe this morning, right across the building, that God is speaking to people. God is meeting people. Okay, And I, I, today and this week, I believe that God's going to give people dreams and visions and prophetic insight and answers to questions because God wants to bless society through us. And so we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to have a new operating system to support what God wants to do. And so this morning, I want to read you a story that is one of the initial stories of innovation in the Bible. And the story is, uh, it's the story of the Tabernacle of David. Now, it's not a big story. You've probably read it before and kind of glossed over it, but it's actually really significant to us as a church and where we stand in the history of what God's doing through people. And so uh, don't be too confused. The word tabernacle literally just means a dwelling place. Okay, so in the Old Testament, they would have a tabernacle, which was a tent, and in it lived the Ark of the Covenant. You guys know the Ark where Moses brought down the tablets, put it in the Ark of the Covenant, and it lived in the tabernacle. And so this story is about the tabernacle of David. Now, it's in two locations in the Bible, okay? The story's told two places, in 2 Samuel 6 and also in 1 Chronicles 16. I'm going to read this to you. I don't want you to get bogged down in the details, okay? I'm just going to read the story to you, and then I'm going to point out some of the really important parts. So you guys just, just stick with the story here. You good? All right, 2 Samuel 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000, he and all his men went to Balaam in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Now, the reason it's called that way is because that was the actual representation. The ark of the covenant actually had two cherubim that were carved into the top of it. And it says, They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all, the might, with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. So they were really noisy. Uh, when they came to the, thre- the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of the God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act and therefore God struck him down and he died beside the ark of God. Then David became angry because of the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for the Gittite for three months and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Really important point. 
Now, King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with, with shouts and the sound of trumpets. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. So, basically, the Ark of the Covenant is not in Israel, okay? It's not in Jerusalem. And David has this desire, this passion to get the Ark of the Covenant into the city. And so, he takes 30,000 guys, they march out, they load the Ark onto a new cart, and they're carting it with an ox. And as they're going... The ox stumbles, one of the security guards puts his hand out to stop the ark and dies right there on the spot, okay? And David, being a concerned leader, uh, says, look, I'm really upset about this. I'm just going to leave the ark here and I'm going to go back and try and work out a plan. And it says that a report came to him after three months that the guy's house where they had left the ark was completely blessed, Okay, he was so blessed. His whole property, his crops, his family, his health, his prosperity, his finances, everything had become so blessed. When the report came back to David, he was renewed in his passion to find a way to get the ark into Israel. And so he goes out with a new plan. He goes out with a new system. He goes and gets the, he goes and gets the ark and he brings it, he leads it into the city. And as he comes in, He's got a team that are musicians that are leading the the cart in. They bring it in and they pitch the Ark of the Covenant, right, inside the tabernacle of David, inside the tent that David had built. And then we pick up a few more details in the other location of the story in 1 Chronicles 16. And it says, He appointed some of the Levites to serve before the Ark of the Lord, to offer prayers, songs of thanks, and hymns to the Lord God of Israel, Asaph was the leader, and Zechariah second in command, followed by um, all those dudes. And they were to play stringed instruments. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and the priests, Beniah and Jehaziel, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of God. So I've got three points. What's the big deal about the tabernacle of David? Okay, This seemingly insignificant story amongst woven into the entire Old Testament of these guys bringing the ark into the tabernacle of David. So I want to look at three really important parts of this story that impact our life and our ability to absorb and contain what it is that God wants to download into us this morning. Number one is this. I've called it open plan living. Uh, David brought in the ark of the covenant and he just came and put it in his tent. Right? He's got this huge tent. He brings in the ark and then he brings in all these crew to come and basically sing worship songs in the presence of God. Sounds like a cool idea, right? You know, nice big open plan, everything's fine, everyone gets involved. The only problem with it, sorry, was that in the tabernacle of Moses, the ark was surrounded by a curtain and no one was allowed to get in. Okay, do you guys remember any of this? You can read all about it in the book of Leviticus. 
But God said to Moses, when you put the ark inside the tabernacle, I want you to build a curtain around it, and that room is going to be called the Holy of Holies, okay? And this is really intense because God said, you have to do this because my presence is so powerful that if you misuse it or mistreat it, it's probably going to hurt someone, okay? And so this is actually, this is in the Bible. So what they did is one guy was allowed in one day of the year to minister to God, and he had, a, he had a real sweet outfit, right? They made him a special outfit. And sewn into the hem of his garment were bells, okay? And just to add to that, they crafted this rope. It must have been real, real Gucci, right? Real Luxo. And they tied a rope around this guy. So the one priest that was allowed in the Holy of Holies one day a year to minister to God wore this robe with bells and had a rope tied around him. And the reason that he had that Okay, just hear me on this. The reason that he had that is because the presence of God was so intense inside the room that on the one day when the guy went in to minister to God, if he died, they would know because they would hear the bell stop ringing and they could pull him out via the rope without having to enter in the room. Okay? This is Old Testament in Leviticus, the details of the tabernacle. Okay? This is how serious it is. It's a big deal. If you mess this up, you're going to die and we're going to have to pull you out via a rope. So David thinks, I've brought the ark up inside the tabernacle of David. I reckon we just put it out there. And then we get everybody in. Do you know what I mean? So he's put the ark in the middle. He's got a band playing worship music to the presence of God. And he's gone, hey, let's just invite everybody in. I'm sure someone at some point would have gone... Hey, remember there's meant to be a curtain around that and no one's allowed to go in except the one guy, one day of the year. And yet something in David's heart said, we need to encounter the presence of God. And if that's how important it was for David, it only illustrates to us how critical it is that we encounter the presence of God. If David was willing to risk the lives of his people to get in there to experience the presence, how important it is for us to encounter the presence of God. And so if there's nothing else you get out of this message this morning, let it be that. We need to do whatever we need to to encounter the presence of God. Uh, number two, I've titled this the OG boy band. Now, someone had to come and ask me about this after the service with good reason because, you know, it took me two years to work out that LOL wasn't actually, um, yeah, lots of love. So OG, right, is colloquially sorry a colloquialism for original okay og actually stands for original gangster and if there was ever a bunch of guys in the bible who were the original gangsters it was david and his mighty men amen so the og boy band david decided it would be a good idea to not only get everybody in the tabernacle but we should create a band and we're going to minister to god okay so here's David going, one guy, once a year, goes in and worships God. I'm going to put a band together. You know, this wasn't Simon Cowell's idea. This was King David's idea. And so he puts a team together to get in there and worship God. And so they go in there, and they're worshiping God 24-7, okay, with songs, with instruments, and a whole bunch of stuff that I can't pronounce. But they're in there with the one goal, which is to minister to God. And one of the things that I'm so proud of, of our team here is that even though we have a team, a band, okay, a worship team to lead us into worship, the primary role that they have in our church is actually to minister to God. Yeah. The primary reason that we have 
praise and worship in every service is because we are desperate to encounter the presence of God and so we want to minister to God so that the presence can come down and meet, meet you. Okay? And so this is why we operate the way we do. And so if you need an answer from God, you need to pursue the presence. And number two, you need to understand the importance of worship. And I want to say this. We can often, often have the misconception that worship is the last two songs. Right? You know, we have two praise songs, we have two worship songs. But the truth is, if you read the Bible and look at the actual nation of Israel, your worship didn't end after the two songs. Okay, your worship continued on Monday. When you went to work, if you're a taxi driver, you drove taxis unto the Lord. If you were a doctor, you served medicine. Oh, sorry, you, you, know, you, you function in your profession as unto the Lord. And so if we actually are going to receive what God wants to do, we need to understand that everything we do, including the Monday to Friday is an act of worship and when we understand that we are worshiping God with everything that we do when we teach the school kids in our class when we operate our businesses when we do our jobs there is nothing mundane about what we do but everything is an act of worship and in that operating system of worshiping God the Holy Spirit can release insight dreams visions and answers to the questions of society and number three I'll try and park the bus on this um this wasn't in the plan, okay? This, this plan that David went through, this wasn't the original plan, okay? He would have had uh, the, the original Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible in Hebrew are actually called the Pentateuch, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So he would have had this. He would have had some scrolls, and he would have been able to read it. You know, he was the king. He would have been able to go and get the scrolls and have someone come into his room and read it to him. I mean, how good would that be on a, on a Monday morning? You know, he just gets a guy in to read the Bible to him and he sits there and eats grapes and, and that's how he rolled. But he had a plan. There was a plan. And yet David recognized that God was moving. He recognized that the Holy Spirit wanted to do something and he was willing to deviate from the plan in order to see the Holy Spirit work out what God wanted to do and so I wonder what plans we have in our life that maybe need to be disrupted in order to let the Holy Spirit release what he wants to release okay maybe your your plan of just going through the motions getting up on Monday morning going to work maybe God needs to interrupt that okay maybe he needs to interrupt your plan a little bit so that you can receive God wants and you can provide an answer to someone in the community. You can provide an answer to someone in your workplace. And I, I often hear things like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate that God had used me. I'm just waiting until I've been a part of the church for six months. And, you know, I've been in a life group and I've done growth tracks and everything else. Um, you know, and then God will use me. Well, God wants to use you now. We just need to modify the plan a little bit so God can do what he wants to do through you. So don't let the plans, don't let the Monday to Friday grind or whatever it is in your life, don't let your calendar, your plan, what it is that you're envisioning, don't let that stop what God wants to do because God is happy to rewrite your plans. He's happy to rewrite your agenda in order to work out what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us. David had an idea of what God wanted, but to see it fulfilled, he needed to create a new system to support it. 
Come on, God's plan is for the church to be a hub of innovation and solutions throughout the world. Come on, and the problems of our nation are the opportunity of our generation. The problems of our community are the opportunities of this generation. The world is looking for solutions to problems. They don't know where it's going to come from. I believe it should come from the church. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work to meet people in order to work out wisdom, Holy Spirit insight and answers to questions in us and through us. And we have a fantastic opportunity. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message empowers you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We would love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We're so excited to see you there.